Blog Talk Radio. This is BC Radio Live with Eric, Lisa, and Philip live online at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. Aloha. Tonight on BC Radio Live, we are delighted to have Lisa back with us. We missed her for a couple of weeks, but we've got a secret plan to get her chatting tonight. And uh, We're going to talk to her directly. <laughs> Speaking of chatting, we do have a couple of guests lined up for tonight's show. We plan to chat with Holly Green about her book, which is called More Than a Minute, How to Be an Effective Leader and Manager in Today's Changing World. And we also plan to talk to Samuel Greengard, author of the AARP Crash Course in Finding the Work You Love. Today is Wednesday, November 19th, and this is BC Radio Live. The chat room is now open at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio, and the live video feed is now running. I am Philip Wynn, button pusher for BC Radio Live and Chief Geek at BC Magazine, and I am joined tonight, as you've already heard, by Eric Olson and Lisa McKay. Eric is BC Magazine's founder and publisher, and Lisa, Lisa is BC Magazine's executive editor. Hello, guys. Hey. Hi there. How are we all? I'm doing well. Lisa, how are you doing? It's freezing in (laughs) Connecticut. Oh, that's just not right. Yeah, we had a serious early winter. We had a cold front move through here uh, last week, but right now it's uh, it's 70 degrees at 8 o'clock at night, which is where it is central time. Oh, yeah. It's actually in the upper 20s here right now. Oh, oh, oh I I feel ill. Yeah, it's <clears throat> pretty nasty. Yeah, it's about that here. We oh. typically the uh, I know you guys get stuff off the weather off the coast and up from the south too, but a lot of times it's kind of the general uh, west to east. So we get it here. We had we had I don't know what it was eight inches of snow maybe yesterday. Oh. In 24 hours, just that, that was probably that was probably the same cold front that had already passed through North Texas. But down here, you know, it it dropped us into the I don't know what it was 40s for one night. We certainly didn't get any snow. It, it was 77 was the high temp for today. Yeah, it was veering. It was right around, um, you know, a little above freezing, kind of mid 30s. So it was coming down. It was cold enough to Perfect. be snow, but it wasn't really sticking. And then overnight, last night, you know, 24 hours ago, it got cold enough, and and it really started sticking. We're not we're not in the snow belt. We're kind of south of it. It's, it goes right along the lake, and man, they got you know a foot or more up there, right right along the lake. They just get absolutely slammed, and there are people who actually like it. No, that's just insane. So, uh, Lisa, we missed you last week, but you had a very, very good reason for not joining us. You were at an event, a screening of a movie in which the star and creator of that movie spoke, so uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Sure thing. Um, Told you we had a secret plan. (laughs) (laughs) We went to see a screening of Bruce Campbell's uh, latest movie last week called My Name is Bruce. And uh, for people who, who don't know, and it's kind of hard to imagine that there are people who don't know who Bruce Campbell is, 
Uh, he's he's a really funny, great uh, action hero, B-movie guy, uh, most notable for being in Sam Raimi's Evil Dead movies, which are cult classics. And the really cool thing about going to the screening is that he's he's touring the movie around the country. Uh, starting, He started uh, late in October, and he's got dates going um, to almost like to the end of December. So you go see the movie. Uh, the tickets are selling like hotcakes. And Bruce comes out and does a Q&A with the audience afterwards, and it was a huge amount of fun. Now, your review, your review, both of the movie and the event already appeared on the site. So I suppose we can uh, we can tell people to go to blogcritics.org. Uh, we would tell people to to search for it, but it turns out that Google, for some reason, has singled you out and hates you. Has condemned you to some some never world of of no search results. But if you go to blogcritics.org and um, search for Bruce Campbell right there on the site, her uh, Lisa's article is the the top hit. What I thought was hilarious was um, that two reels of the film were switched and most people didn't notice? Most people didn't notice. Um, I, I remember, you know, watching the movie and thinking, wow, that was a really, really bad edit. You know, <laughs> and <laughs> the, the movie has little enough plot to it. And, you know, you really, you really have to have been an Evil Dead fan to really want to sit through this movie. It's essentially an 86-minute long in-joke. So if you've, if you've not got any familiarity with the Evil Dead movies and you really, you know, you don't know too much about, you know, schlocky horror films, this probably isn't your cup of tea. Um, so having said that, you know, the plot is pretty thin stuff upon which to hang the bones of an entire film, but it's a huge amount of fun. And at one point, I thought, boy, that just, like, really doesn't follow from what we were watching two seconds ago. But I didn't really give it much more thought than that because <laughs> the rest of the story was so thin. And, of course, um, afterwards, uh, during the Q&A, he, he mentioned that uh, no one, you know, there was, like, one guy, I guess, had complained to the projectionist. And of course, we're you know we're watching a screening of the movie uh, downtown in New Haven, where you know probably 80% of the audience was from the, the Yale community. And mm -hmm. uh, Bruce Campbell said about the the one guy that noticed that the uh, reels had been switched that uh, he must be from Harvard, which of course <laughs> was a huge huge laugh from the audience. So <laughs> I love that uh, that big school rivalry. Such fun. Oh yes, indeed. We should, we should so, how how is uh, how does he compare these days, uh, you know, to his his former action hero past? The last I've saw have seen him, uh, is probably in the that I can think of anyway, is in you know the cameos in the Spider Man movies, and he's looking pretty paunchy in those, you know. He's, he's a little bit. Puffier. I think he's. I think he's just turned fifty, so you know mm -hmm. he's obviously he's not a kid anymore. But he looks, he looks um, much more uh, sort of you know sober-minded in person because when you, he's he's such a caricature of himself on screen that you sort of think he's going to look like this kind of larger-than-life guy. Um, and you know he was 
pretty much dressed down in a you know a blazer and a shirt, and he wears glasses, and he you know looks like a a, be, a you know a better than average looking middle aged guy who was you know probably <laughs> in really good shape at one point and has put on about twenty pounds. <laughs> Gone to seed a bit, huh? <laughs> but very very. Very, very funny, very charming, and just really fun to listen to him talk for a while. Well, doesn't he have one or more? I know he's got one or but or more books. Haven't they done pretty well? He has, yeah. He has um, two of them. Um, one of which we we have here called um, "If Chins Could Kill: Confessions of a B Movie Actor." And that's really a it's really a good book. It's it's funny, and it, you know he. He gives you a lot of, um, I think, insight into just how tough it is to just, you know, scrape by and make a living in the film industry. And he's really been very fortunate, I think, in that he he's taken a route which allows him to sort of do these sort of fun things, and he doesn't take himself too seriously. And he has a fan base that'll, you know, follow him around while he's making these movies, you know, for the rest of his life, if that's what he wants to do. Right. Hey, by the way, uh, Eric, you can also catch him in Sky High, which is an underrated movie that I, I like to recommend. Uh, he plays a coach there and has a slightly larger scene than in uh, any of the Spider-Man films. And, yeah, he's got, a belly. he's got a belly there. And he's on TV now, too. Yeah, what is that show? Burn Notice? It's called Burn Notice. He talked about yeah. that a little bit, too. I guess it's on the USA Network. And he, um, I've never seen the show. I read a little bit about it. I guess it's about um, a, 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 a secret agent type guy. The main character, who isn't Bruce Campbell, is, I guess, a secret agent type guy who's being sort of shut out of whatever intelligence agency he works for. And so he's he's kind of out in the cold and is trying to figure out why. And huh. um, I have too many yeah. shows I'm watching. I, I can't add another. Yeah, he, he, he <laughs> talks a little bit about how his shows, shows in which he has a supporting role tend to stay on the air much longer than shows in which he stars. <laughs> his, uh, he's not the only one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, you can, you can say that in general, you know, just by a matter yeah. of percentages. There just aren't that many shows that stick around, you know. What, what's true. a success? Isn't it maybe what three years? And you're a success if you make it three years, three seasons. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it's, what's it's the like threshold like, for syndication? Is really what it is, isn't it's it? It's usually about a hundred episodes, which is four, four or four and a half seasons. Okay. So, so that maybe that's the real measure of quote-unquote success, I suppose. But, you know, there's other variables, too, these days, especially when you have the, uh, once the the TV on DVD era hit, that made a big difference for some of these shows that that had real strong cult followings but just didn't quite, you know, break through to the kind of numbers that are needed. I guess, you know, even even though you have your – you have somewhat more niche audiences on on some of the the lesser networks and certainly cable. You know, like they're not expecting the same numbers on the CW that they expect on on CBS. But still, you know, you still have to. You can't be too eccentric, uh, I guess. Or you yeah, can't they, be they don't too, have the same. 
They don't have the same budget on CW as they do on CBS either, though. <laughs> well, sure. But, you know, we the, the one we watch, uh, well, the two we watched, and one has been, you know, on whatever we call it. We don't call it summer uh, <laughs> break anymore, but it's been on hiatus. We, the, we, we do watch two on CW. We watch Supernatural, which we really did start watching because of uh, – of reading uh, Alice's uh, Alice Jester's review continuously raving <laughs> reviews. Not that she's not critical; she is, and she she certainly recognizes better and and worse episodes. But uh, you know, of the show in general, she certainly views it in the highest order. But so we started watching it, and I mean, it, I realize it's just sick. But we watch the kids watch it with us. These little kids are watching this really quite horrible action often and even language but there's something about the tone of the show where there's always jokes um i mean there's times it's very serious i mean the golly the you know the the religious slash philosophical issues are are as serious and and deep as it gets and they're actually doing i think really quite a good job with I mean, that that part of it is is absolutely dead serious and not campy at all. But uh, you know, one of the two, it's two brothers, and and one of them, the older one, who's supposed to be kind of looking after the younger one. You know, he's always joking around and has the really dark humor, and somehow that seems to diffuse you know a lot of the worst situations. Plus, they'll have whole episodes that are basically humorous. You know, so right. uh, that's. Uh, the, but what I was going to say is the production values on that are really quite high. We we ended up getting the because we didn't watch it before season three. We're now into into season four. So but we got the the DVDs, uh, and I rarely get TV DVDs because it just seems so pointless. Either I watched it and liked it and been there done that, or my God, am I going to get into a whole other series that I didn't have, you know that I don't even watch? I mean, what you know what. What's the point? But anyway, we got those, and and watching the DVDs, uh, you know, you can really tell because you can, you know, focus a little more. Plus, you can see two, three, four in a row if you're so inclined. Sure. And sure. and the production values really are high. The sound quality is excellent. Really comes out super well on okay. the surround. Okay. You have to stop because I don't have time to watch another show. And I've read it's a great show. It 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 oh, really is. Stop. I can't. I can't. <laughs> we watched oh. that. I, I speak of CW and Reaper. And Reaper's the one that's on hey, oh, that's I, fun. I think it comes back in January. And and they're really quite similar, although they take very mm-hmm. different tacks to this to similar themes. You know, they're both as really heavy, you know. Uh, afterlife and and, and sure. you know, the, the devil and God and and you know how does all this tie together and spirits and demons and madness and you know one's mostly funny and some serious and one's mostly serious and some funny they're both really good. Yep. Sounds like Buffy. Well, uh, let's. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Lisa. I said it sounds like Buffy. Oh yeah, yeah. somewhat. Yeah. Similar little X Files, little Buffy, little. <laughs> Actually, there's a lot of X Files in in yeah. uh, Supernatural. I was thinking about that. We watched we watched a one from I think season two last night. I said, wow, that that's an X Files episode. <laughs> well, uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and jump to talk to our first guest. We've uh, we've put Lisa on the spot enough, 
thank you, Lisa, for, uh, for speaking up. Uh, but this is BC Radio Live. We're live every week at uh, blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio and co-hosting with Eric and Lisa, I'm Philip. Most of you will have heard of the business book of the One Minute Manager, uh, as popular and effective as Kenneth Blanchard's advice has turned out to be. Uh, several decades have passed, and now Holly Green has written a book which reevaluates the principles in that classic tome. The book is called More Than a Minute. The website is morethanaminute.com, and Holly Green is here to talk with us about it uh, right now. Uh, welcome to BC Radio Live, Holly. I think it's Samuel. I was going to say, man, that is one hell of an introduction. But I think I think I think Samuel's on first. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, so finding got, the work you love. Yes. Is Samuel there somewhere? Yes, I am here. What was that? Oh, not well. a amazing. Didn't you want to be Holly after hearing that introduction? Yeah, that really was an amazing introduction. I was uh, very impressed. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, we're sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. Very, very apologetic. If, if, if that's the worst thing that happens this week, I'll be in pretty good shape. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about Samuel, the uh, the good-natured and forgiving Samuel. Oh, most gracious Samuel. Yeah, Greenberg. bust out that other intro. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, uh, I, I think the problem is I'm I'm actually much too young to be talking about the sorts of things that Samuel was called about. So uh, I'm not anymore, probably, sadly. <laughs> this this will be of much greater interest to Eric and Lisa. Uh, but our next guest is Samuel Greengard, and he's written the AARP Crash Course in Finding the Work You Love, subtitled The Essential Guide to Reinventing Your Life. So uh, he has a lot of advice aimed primarily at boomers, and he's here to talk to us tonight about re-careering and, and other similar topics. So welcome to BC Radio Live, Samuel. Well, thank you. <laughs> now you're officially here. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, your timing on this book, I mean, could it have been better? I mean, we have, unfortunately, all these people uh, of all ages, but certainly including those uh, in the, you know, 50-ish or late 40s and on up range who are suddenly finding themselves uh, in the uh, enviable or not position of being able to perhaps pursue work that they quote-unquote love versus maybe what they've been doing for a career for 20 or 30 years. But man, that you know, you might as well make the best of it, right? Yeah, well, there's a lot of carnage out there right now. Yeah, we sat down a couple of years ago and we just mapped out when this whole um, meltdown of the economy would occur, and you know, time the book to come out right now. But no, seriously, God, how um, Bengali-ish of you! <laughs> but uh, seriously, you know, I mean, it's it's an important issue. I mean, we all uh, grapple with this finding work that really brings meaning to our life. So the the, the point of the book is to really take a look at all of this and. Certainly there are some short-term um, problems and, and issues with the economy, and it's causing a lot of people to reevaluate and perhaps postpone retirements or uh, postpone changes they were thinking about making. But it, this is really more about a long-term approach, kind of a holistic approach to life, and thinking about what it is that really brings joy and meaning to a person. And that is, of course, very much... Very important at any time, um, you know, whether we're whether the economy is flush or uh, or pinched, and it's certainly pinched at the moment. Um, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm been looking it over, and there's a lot of great advice. It kind of reminds me, um, you know, just in a general sense about the the famous um, 
what was the one about the the parachute? The what what was it? What color is my parachute? What color is right. my parachute? Yeah. Right, right. And you know, uh, the basic precept being, and and it's one certainly that I, I mean, this is a subject near and dear to my heart because man, I haven't had a job since I was like 24 years old. You know, <laughs> I've I have pursued my joy. I've pursued my own interests for to to greater and much lesser. Uh, <laughs> uh, degrees of success, uh, you know, for for about thirty years now, and I finally kind of lucked out and stumbled onto something that that came together. But uh, what what is your basic? How do people approach this? What what is your basic um, uh, method? You know, to decide because obviously it's a big big step. To move from something, say that you do know, you know, and if, if we're not talking about people who, who are who are, who are being punished by the economy and being laid off or whatever, but you know, uh, people like you're saying, uh, looking at the medium to long run, you know, how, how do people make that decision to sort of, uh, you know, veer into something that that really brings them joy and happiness versus, say, perhaps, uh, you know, either a little more money or or, or or better certainty of money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What what are the what are the basics that people can can you know look at and and or need to look at in order to achieve this? Well, I mean, I think the the primary thing is to get in touch with oneself. You know, it's it's that's of course sounds lofty and it's something that you know sounds kind of dreamy, but it it really is about getting in touch with yourself and what your your preferences are, your needs, what gets your motor going on a cold winter morning. I mean, if you love what you do now, great. There's no reason to change. But the average person changes careers about three times during their life, changes jobs about seven times, and I think those numbers are actually increasing as we speak because the 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 contracts between employer and employee is pretty much gone there's no gold watch at age 65 so people are pursuing more jobs more careers but i think the the key is to really get in touch with yourself and you can do that in a number of ways one is to really um just try to tune into what you love doing what you what what brings you happiness you know we all have frustrating days at work and we all have things that we're ready to tear our hair about tear our hair out about but i think that you know you really have to separate whether it's just um like a daily frustration or it's the job and you basically like the work maybe it's just a, a, a matter of finding another job that you like and staying in the same career but if you know if it feels like um things just aren't right then i think it's important to go out and start exploring other options you can do that in a number of ways Maybe through counseling or therapy, job, uh, a career coach, um, career counseling. There, there are a number of areas there where you can kind of go out and get information. And and also in the book, you know, I provide a lot of information about different careers, about different options, different approaches, and just explore this. I mean, that doesn't mean that you go out and actually make the change. It just means that you're opening yourself up and getting rid of boundaries and limitations. And of course, all of that information that you would gather, you know, by by looking into these things and doing the personality tests and the, uh, uh, you know, the career tests and whatnot, and, and and having some counseling therapy or just sitting there and, you know, going over what you what's really important to you and what makes you happy and what makes you look forward to, 
to going to work, quote unquote. And I'll tell you what, for me, a lot of it was simply not thinking of it as work. You know, if you attach work to it, suddenly it becomes it could be the everything could be identical, but you attach work to it, and 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 for me, the picture changes. It's, it's you know, but I'm perverse. Well, no, you make a really good point, though. Um, you know, a lot of times someone will enjoy a particular field. It might be animals or or arranging flowers. I mean, you might be absolutely amazing at arranging flowers and really enjoy that, but that doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be great at working in a florist shop because you may have to deal with cranky customers, you may have to deal with limited supply certain days, not have just the choice of whatever it is you want to put together. So that's where I think it's really important to to understand what a career is all about and what options you have. Uh, And that gets into perhaps, you know, serving an internship or or using an organization like Vocation Vacations. It's a Portland-based company that lets you sample jobs. It could be anything from like a broadcaster to, uh, um, you know, an animal trainer, let's say. And and really, you know, or call people up and or network with people and 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 try to find mentors or just people that you can talk to to try to understand what a particular career is all about. But yeah, I mean, you know, you got to really explore it because um, it it may be that the work is different than than your interest, and you need a match there, and you need a match also in terms of finances and um, social circle. You know, a lot of times changing careers can can change your entire group of friends and, and the social circle you're around. It can mean sacrificing money. I mean, if you're 45, 50 years old, you've climbed the corporate ladder and you're sick and tired of that and you want to go out and start your own business or you want to um, do something different, it may mean entirely different terms in, in terms of what you earn or how many hours you put in. So it's very important to explore all of that and know what your options are before you make a decision. Yeah, that's for sure. As 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 all three of us have learned, um, because both Philip and Lisa had full time. Lisa still does have full time job while working on Blog Critics, which was our site, which was our endeavor that we started. Now, um, six years ago, I was the only you know full time employee all that time. But um, yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of changes and a lot of sacrifices to pursue something that you're interested in that that seems fun or, or interesting or important to you, um, because you know you do have to balance the, the income and the time and and family. And both Lisa and Philip, you know, have worked essentially full time jobs, two full time jobs, um, all along. Philip, Philip, we we actually just sold the business. Uh, to a bigger company called Technorati that that sort of is the uh, overseer of the blogosphere. So it, yep. we we were excited about it and you know feel like we're in a, a real good position now. And now we were hired you know by Technorati now to run the company. And finally, Philip is able to work full time. But Lisa still has her her career long time career job. And then but she's also our executive editor so um yeah i mean we we know and and they know probably even better than i because i have backed off some on the hours it was you know working an average of 12 14 hour days uh physically just absolutely ran me into the ground i did that for maybe two years at that steady rate and and uh you know four or five hours each day on the weekends and um you know, after about two years of that, I just had to back off. It really had 
severe for me anyway, uh, you know, physical ramifications too much caffeine, not enough sleep, just, you know, lots and lots of issues. I was super cranky, <laughs> too. Yeah, well, but on know, the I mean, other you... hand, it, I had to do it in order to uh, succeed, you know, I felt, uh, at something that was really, really important to me. And and so, you know, in the long run, sure. I, I mean, I do think it was worth it. It's just, but I did kind of come up against the wall and had to back off. What I was saying earlier, and as, as often the case, I kind of cut myself off, all of this research you can do into career, uh, you know, a, an alternative career, um, finding things that you're really interested in, especially if you are dissatisfied. And But, you know, if you are getting toward the end of your career and if you have, you know, retirement, if, if you can look forward to an actual, you know, real retirement with, with pay and benefits and whatnot, then all of that research and all this information can certainly then be applied when you do retire. Well, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, too, that, you know, boomers are the generation that reinvented society to a certain extent, and now they're reinventing retirement. And people do not want to be sitting around in a sewing circle or just out at the golf course, and that's the extent of their life. I mean, many, many people I interviewed, and the, the research shows this, are uh, older older workers, if they're retiring or partially retiring, they're out there volunteering or doing social service work or starting a side business or, or doing something to keep themselves engaged. So I don't think that any of us um, are, are ready to go out to pasture at this point. I mean, we're not living in the 1940s or 50s anymore. And uh, unfortunately, some of that is by necessity, too. Um, we're seeing with the economy a lot of people's 401Ks and uh, retirement funds taking a major hit, and they're they're probably going to have to be working a little bit longer. But um, you know, I think we all have to make adjustments. That's what you're talking about. There, it's very difficult to find that perfect balance in life, but the key is to try to seek the balance and try to find the sweet spot between work hours and, and passion for work and income and all those different things and family, balancing all of that. Um, and that's why, you know, in the book I talk about, it's so important to communicate and discuss these issues with family members and, and people who are important because they're going to be impacted by any kind of career change as well. Uh, changing subject um, somewhat, uh, a, a huge, huge change, and, and for the most part I think it's just been, you know, one of the few things that you could say is, is almost an, an unadulterated good in this one regard anyway. Um, can you talk about the changes that the Internet have brought to this whole process? I mean, my gosh, it's, it's made it possible for me to, you know, to have the career that, that I have, uh, for all of us to have this career is, you know, the existence of the Internet. Well, absolutely. It's, it's profoundly changed the whole job process, career process. Um, you know, most of the action is online nowadays with resumes. There's very, very few companies that are accepting any kind of paper resume and, and anything by mail. If they do, it basically gets scanned into the computer. Most of them are looking for resumes electronically. They get put into databases. The databases search for keywords. So, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a key component. And when we talk about keywords, I mean, if you don't have the right keywords on your resume, your persona non grata, and if you do have the right ones, you're likely to go to the top of the stack. So it's very important to understand how that process works. But beyond that, I mean, yeah, people are, are finding jobs through 
LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter, I mean, there are actually people hiring through those social networking services, which is pretty amazing, and they um, be quite shocking to some people who are 50-plus. But, yeah, those those have taken off, and, and, and those services not only are people hiring through them and recruiters are looking for, for people through through them, but they're, they're very, very powerful and useful ways to, to network. And, um, you know, we, we all have heard of old-fashioned networking, but going online and using LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter or any of a number of other social networking services can, can really expand one's network and, and, and open up a lot of vistas and opportunities. So it's very, very important to get clued into that if one isn't already familiar with those types of services. Well, that's a great point, and I actually I wasn't even thinking of that aspect of it, which is of course really critical. I was thinking literally in terms of jobs on the internet. I mean, because that, that you know that's what we do. I mean, we're in three different locations. I'm in the Cleveland area, Phillips in Dallas, and uh, Lisa is in Connecticut. And you know, we we all report to a company that's in San Francisco. Right, and you're interviewing someone from Portland. So, right. uh, yeah, it, it is. It, it, the internet has definitely changed things. Um, there, you know, I mean, you look at all the blogs, and some of the blogs are getting huge, huge numbers of hits and, and becoming very, very respectable sources for information. And I don't have to tell you that. Um, you know, it's created a whole, whole group of um, opportunities and. Cr- career opportunities and, and jobs and different different options there as well. You're absolutely right. Well, uh, before we move on then, um, let's, let's – uh, do, do you have a website, first of all? Because we always need to mention that. Yeah, I, well, I've got my own website, which is my last name. It's www.greenguard.com. And then I've got one for the book that's www.recareering-guide.com. And that one is a blog, and it's got uh, postings on on various topics and information that might be useful to those looking at recareering. If you were to just really boil it down to a nutshell, you know, you got a 50-year-old, maybe someone who either doesn't like their job or they're 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 sensing that uh, you know they may be vulnerable at this point, and you know that's a tough tough time of life to to have to. To move on, uh, less so than it used to be, but but still, um, uh, you know, what in in a nutshell, how would you boil down what should people do? What are the steps they should take in order to be prepared, uh, you know, to move on if they need to or if they choose to? Well, I think the first thing is to just not let your life be ruled by fear. I mean, so many of us have so many boundaries and limitations we've created on our own, or some of them are external, you know. I mean, as we get older, there is ageism, there is some age discrimination out there, but you really can't get obsessed with all of that. You've really got to try to be the best person you can be and the best candidate you can be. Something I talk about in the book is raising your KQ. We all know about IQ, which is intelligence quotient. Well, KQ is knowledge quotient, and certainly not for every job, but for a, a large number of jobs moving forward in the digital age, it's important to have a lot of knowledge, and I would encourage people to just be so good at what they do um, that they're they're irresistible to employers. And way you, the way you go about doing that is to perhaps go back to college and get another degree, go to go to school and get a certification in a particular field, attend conferences, workshops, seminars, do the online networking thing, and and you know get tied in with a group of people that you help them, they help you. 
read read a lot. You know, I mean, read blogs, read new websites, read trade magazines, newspapers, and try to just clue in on on having a lot of knowledge and a lot of ability. But you know, again, I think it's about getting back to knowing yourself and understanding yourself. And just approaching things without fear. I mean, the worst you can do is is get into something and not particularly like it, and that can be a learning experience in itself. You know, a lot of times we have to go through that, especially when we're younger, go through a number of jobs or careers to really find what we like, and it's kind of fine-tuning along the way. So um, I, I think that, you know, the book could have just as easily been finding the job you like or finding work, which may be more apropos right now considering the unemployment rate, but it's finding the work you love. And I think that the word love is there for a reason because it's important to feel passionate about what you're doing, and I feel very strongly about that. Oh, well, sure. I do too. Absolutely. Um, I know I've been lucky, very lucky. We've talked about this before, you know, in that I was supported by by family basically wife wife and parents uh, you know helped me out um early on when we started this business uh you know or else I couldn't have done it I wouldn't have had that freedom to do so uh and you know I always need to and want to acknowledge that so I mean I think that's part of it too if you're going to go off on your own you know that's that's a, a difficult and it's exciting it's it's fun it's rewarding um you know, with or without the financial success, it's rewarding just to, you know, achieve something on your own. But it is difficult, and it's time-consuming, and, you know, there's an awful lot to it. And, you know, you do need support if you if you are going to go out on your own, because a great idea or just knowing what you're doing, you know, usually isn't enough. Well, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the key, though, is that you, you were willing to take that risk, and you were willing to go out and do this. A lot of people are afraid to take that risk, and so they limit their options. If you're really interested in doing something, yeah, you find a way to make it happen, you know, and it may it may require certain adjustments along the way or finding support. Um, I mean, the worst thing that happens is, you, you know, you try something, and if it doesn't work, at least you've given it a, a good try, too, you know, um, and that that in itself, at least you don't have to leave any questions on the table and, and wonder what could have been. But, you know, I think one of the things I found in the book, I interviewed a lot of people, and the stories were very inspirational because these people did take risks, and they were willing to go back to school, maybe go to college at age 60 and go get another degree. Or, um, you know, go, one gentleman went, went off to France. He, well, he went to a cooking school. He had been in the public relations business, and he went to a, a cooking school and finished at the top of the class and won a won a internship in in France in the Provence region of France and got to do that and then came back and got a great job and changed careers and he's a chef now in in uh, Texas so um, in in Dallas and and so you know the, a lot of these people took the chance and and they, they're living their dreams because they were willing to do that and I think that's really a key consideration and the rest you just have to work hard to make it happen. All right. Well, I think that's an excellent place to end. I think we've had Holly, um, the, the person who you're not, patiently waiting, <laughs> uh, patiently waiting for some time. But uh, boy, it couldn't be more timely with this. And uh, and, and looking through it, there's a lot of really great information. It's fun to read. It's very encouraging. And I agree with you. You know, ultimately, you know, it's a cliche, but but you really do, you know, only have fear to fear. Uh, and, and People do get, you know, really fretful, and 
you have to be flexible. You you have to have be willing to to roll with the punches a bit, uh, you know, in order to pursue your dream or dreams. And you know, but more often than not, I think it it's worthwhile. Yeah. Well, you got to step out of the comfort zone. Exactly. Well, the book is the AARP Crash Course in Finding the Work You Love, and it's available right now on Amazon. You can also find some websites. There's recareering-guide.com, or Sam Greengard's personal site is Greengard. That's G-R-E-E-N-G-A-R-D.com. Thank you very much for talking with us tonight, Samuel. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you. Good luck. Well, I have to tell you, I'm honestly not quite sure about what to do next. I think I'm going to go ahead and, uh, for the sake of of Holly, I'm going to embarrass myself and admit that all of that very casual-sounding intro that I rattled off earlier was was carefully scripted, and I'm going to do it again. (laughs) As well you should, because it was so good. Oh, there you go. Well, this is BC Radio Live uh, with Eric, Lisa, and me, Philip. Join us live each Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. Well, uh, most of you will have heard of the business book, The One-Minute Manager, if not now, uh, if not earlier than certainly uh, about 20 minutes ago. But as popular and effective as Ken Blanchard's advice has turned out to be, several decades have passed, and now Holly Green has written a book which reevaluates the principles in that classic tome. The book is called More Than a Minute, and the website is morethanaminute.com, and Holly Green is now here to talk with us. Welcome to BC Radio Live, Holly. Thank you so much for having me. Our pleasure, and thanks for hanging around and being introduced twice, and man, all (laughs) kinds of exciting live radio stuff. (laughs) No problem. I got the order mixed up. I, I misread my email, and uh, and I'm afraid I, I introduced you 20 minutes ago when when uh, actually Samuel was ready to talk. So <laughs> everybody well, I hope he about... said great stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, what, kind of a remarkably common theme here, and and even your names are similar. We have a green and a green guard. There I you think go. it was predestined. <laughs> well, I, I have to tell you, your opening act. <laughs> there you go. I have a copy of the One Minute Manager on the bookshelf behind me, and I and I know I've read it at least twice. And I, you you've spent a lot of time um, working, uh, doing organizational management consulting and things like that. H- how is it that you came to update that book uh, with this new book? Well, um, I've worked in a lot of amazing organizations as an employee as well, and I was actually the president of the Ken Blanchard Companies for a number of years, so uh, that sort of ties it all together there. So I worked firsthand with Ken and his family for a number of years. Um, But really, you know, I I read The One Minute Manager probably 20 years ago at the beginnings of my career, and, you know, I, I happened to stumble across it on my bookshelf one day, and thought, you know, let me pull this back out. And as you reread it, what you recognize is, although those principles were really critical 26 years ago and sort of revolutionary even for their time, things have changed dramatically today, dramatically. I mean, think about the changes in the last 20 years. Just think about the changes in the last 10 years alone. You start layering on LinkedIn and YouTube and just the Internet, you know, it's amazing what has changed. 
And so I do a lot of consulting work with Fortune 500 as well as small and mid-sized businesses, and everyone kept saying, you know, you need to write this stuff down. You need to write it down. And so finally I did, and thus you have the book. There you go. In a nutshell, that was like in a minute. So, uh, <laughs> what, what we need more than a minute. <laughs> what are the well, sorts that, of things that you thought you found were out of date when you when you went back, or what are the what 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 are some of the cheap things that you ended up updating for this book? Well, really, I took a very different look. You know, the One Minute Manager is a parable. Um, it has three secrets, and the three secrets of the One Minute Manager. First of all, the first one is one minute goal setting. Tell your people what to do pretty much that week. Well, you try that and let me know how that works for you because that's not what employees are expecting today. That's not the way to engage them. It's certainly not the way to retain them, you know, when our average job tenure is down to about two years in the U.S. The second secret is one-minute reprimand. Well, you, you right. get on that one and let me know how that one goes as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> you suck. Yeah. Bye. You know, that that's just not the approach for today. It's certainly not an approach that's going to work with high performers. Um, feedback, both constructive and positive, is going to work, and, and that looks different. You know, I, I don't know how long you guys have been working, but you may remember at some point being taught to do the sandwich approach to feedback. You know, tell them something really nice, slip in that negative thing, and then tell them something really nice to close it. Listen, employees today are totally onto that, and that is not going to work well to keep them focused on the right things and doing what you want to get done. The third secret of the one-minute manager was one-minute praising. And, again, that one has withstood the test of time certainly much better than the first two, although we don't really call it praising today, and for many personality types, praising would feel somewhat insincere and almost sticky sweet. Um, you know, that keeping people aligned through giving positive feedback has definitely withstood the test of time. It's just look at the different methods we can use to deliver it today. You know, it, you would write a nice handwritten letter and use the U.S. Postal Service 26 years ago. Today you have about a thousand other channels, right? Sure. So huge I could, uh, changes. I could text you, instant message you, you know, direct direct message you on Twitter, and all all of this is just inside my company, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what I do when it's really important, though? I still uh, shell out the bucks for skywriting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be listening to the sky then after this uh, talk. <laughs> no, even that's outdated. I used to, we used to live right on the beach, uh, Hermosa Beach in, in Los Angeles area. And uh, this was 20-some tw years ago. Uh, and uh, every weekend, you know, People would would uh, send messages, you know, one, personal messages or advertising via small plane. It wasn't literally skywriting; it was just dragging something. But uh, I, I'm not sure if they do that anymore. <laughs> you know? Oh, oh yeah, they do. They do. Yeah, I, I live in San Diego. Yeah. Oh well. Okay. They do it in Dallas as well. I've I've seen the plane. <laughs> I thought it was quite effective, especially the "Will you marry me" type version of it. Yeah, there you go. It definitely leaves an impression, that's for sure. No, so anyway, yeah, I interrupted, please. That's okay. Well, you know, what's funny about the title of the book, and I was very intentional in naming it, because find me a really effective manager or leader today that's doing that in a minute here and there. Right. It just doesn't happen. It's all consuming. We're stretched too thin. We're doing too much. And managing leading people is absolutely a full-time job. 
Well, and that, I that's can... kind of w- one of the things that I, I've seen in, in sketching through this is I, I think people come away from the one-minute manager with thinking that, you know, you can spend a lot of time getting actual stuff done and only, you know, minutes here, minutes there, minutes here, minutes there to, to manage the employees. But, but your, your approach in more than a minute really seems to be saying um, what I think most people would acknowledge is true, which is that, yeah, it, it is a full-time just managing people is the full-time job. Forget, forget getting anything else done. Yeah. And, and I don't necessarily recommend that, that all you do is manage people because almost all of our managers today are what we call working managers, working leaders, mm-hmm. where you've got your own list of to-do. But the bottom line is it is pretty darn consuming as far as your time and energy, and it should be. It's important. Well, well let, me, let me, as an example, because it couldn't be much more... Uh, parallel and apt to what you're saying. Here's my progression since we started just purely out of the blue kind of, hey, let's let's just try this. Uh, started the website, Blog Critics, as a, a collection of writers six years ago. I started as, in essence, our head writer, and all that really meant was I was writing more than anyone else. Then we realized <laughs> we, need, we need editing, okay? So I became our our editor and I, I did it when I could. I, I tried to fix stuff, the most egregious glaring errors, the worst spelling, the worst punctuation. Just try to fix it all up. Then someone had the brilliant idea of adding real editors, add more editors. So I kept on writing. I'm plugging away. I'm still our our, our biggest contributor on the writing front by far. And that's my background, writing and editing. I've done other things. I did I did uh, run a business back in the 80s, so I had some entrepreneurial experience, but uh you know, really I saw myself as a writer and I'm just kind of first among equals and 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 the guy who was willing to kind of grab the grab the helm and and the person who had the time because I was the only one working on it full time. Well, over the years, you know, as we succeeded, you know, quote unquote and and well, I, I don't even need to add the quote-unquote. I think we, we have succeeded or, or, is, mm-hmm. or in the process of succeeding. You're never there, but we're, you know, we're, we're, we're uh, successfully down the path. So anyway, it, it's just the absolutely stereotype uh, uh, process and progression. I go from doing, you know, what I know, the reason I got into it, what I was good at, what I was known for, what I had, mm-hmm. you know, background in, writer slash editor, and I basically do not write and, and edit a little tiny bit, but even very little of that anymore. Why? Because I had to become more and more and more of a manager. And I realized over time, with uh, we have almost 3,000 writers who have belonged to it now. We have hundreds and hundreds who are active at any given time. And no matter how prolific I, one guy, am... I can leverage, you know, my time and effort so much more via hundreds of other writers than sitting here and trying to, you know, grind out as much as I can on my own. So while I certainly miss it, and at some point I very much do want to get back to it, um, you know, because it's an important outlet for me, I do feel like something's missing from my life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I also realize how important it is to be the best possible, most efficient, effective, and communicative, because you're talking about writers and editors. You're talking about people who communicate for a living, or at least it's really important to them, and I need to be in touch with them. So I spend much of my time 
just communicating, you know, and messaging uh, back and forth and, and asking for input and, and answering questions and being there as kind of head communicator. That's really what my job is now. So I don't write much other than privately, you know, within the group, do a lot of that, but not publicly, and a little bit of editing, but kind of, you know, managing the editors, although Lisa really does that. I kind of oversee it a bit and offer advice here or there and answer questions here and there, but, but uh, I, you know, I don't even really have to do that because Lisa's in charge of that. So uh, it, it seems like a really cliched kind of stereotype process where you start a business doing whatever it is that you know how to do, and if you're successful, ironically, you end up not doing that anymore because you're running the business and you're running all the other people who are doing that. And that, that is absolutely the process that we have followed. And you know everything you've said uh, is, is 100% applica- applicable to, to that process as I've lived it anyway. Sure. And here's the other thing is when you became that manager and leader of others, did someone wave a magic wand over your head so that you knew how to do that really well? No, they you know, didn't, <laughs> sadly. <laughs> and, and that's really what uh, More Than a Minute is all about. You know, the One Minute Manager is a parable. It was, it was the best all-time selling management book. Um, More Than a Minute is, is not a parable. It's a reference guide. It's a checklist. It's, a, it's going through the process and really giving you guidance on specifically what to do. And, you know, I'm a big believer there's no best practice. There are a lot of winning practices. So I talk about alternatives and options and making an informed choice. But it really begins at the beginning with strategic planning all the way through to how do I unlearn the things that made me successful so that I can relearn new things while everything continues to change around me. Um, and, and, you know, you would not get in an airplane today if you saw the pilot get on and say, oh, don't anybody worry, I, I know what I need to do, I'm not going to use a checklist. <laughs> and yet managers and leaders with jobs that are just as complex, where just as many lives could be at stake as far as employees and customers and products, do it day in and day out. They trust their their minds, their memories. I mean, is that what it is, or how how do why do they think they can get away with it? Well, there are a whole lot of reasons, and we could probably make up some great stories. Um, the bottom line is we're incredibly visual creatures. We need to get the right things in front of us to jog our memory, to stay focused. We're traveling at a pace today that we are not set up neurophysiologically to uh, function well in. So we're scattered, we're, we like the discipline, the structure, the tools in many ways to be as great as we can be. I mean, I mean, how many of you, you know, the two of you worked out the, other than where you work now and had a really great leader or manager who made it crystal clear where the organization was going and you knew what needed to get done and you knew what excellence looked like? It just rarely happens. Yeah. And yet... Yeah, you know, we all go into work. Listen, nobody goes into work and says, oh, I just really hope I suck today. We all want to do a great job. We all want to be great. We want to do a great job. We want to contribute as much as we can. And you've got to set people up to be successful. That's what the book is all about. How do you make that happen? What are some things that you can do? Some of them very simple things that don't take a lot of time and other things that are a little more complicated where you should really focus your energies. Um, and that's certainly on that front end of the model, strategic planning. What does excellence look like? 
how will we measure it, how we're going to get there, and get clear on that. Uh, you'll be blown away by how people will perform to it. You know, I may, focuses so I, much. I, I, I may actually know some people who really do go into work and, and say that they hope to really suck today. But, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I hope yeah. that that's a rarity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just one or two. <laughs> well, the book, For me, the it book all comes down to focus. Excuse me, I'm no. saying it. Uh, trying to achieve focus. Is that, is that what you would say your tools are, are there to, to enable? Absolutely. No question about it. And now more than ever, you know, when we're in really good economic times, it masks a lot of inefficiencies uh, and sins, if you will. It's in tough times, it is even more important to get focused on the right things, doing in the right way for your organization. And unfortunately, that's a little bit of a counterintuitive approach for our body uh, during fear. We tend to want to look at all sorts of opportunities and explore all kinds of things. Our energies get very diffused because we're concerned, you know, if this doesn't work or that doesn't work, and maybe I should do this, and maybe I should do that. And instead, what you've got to do right now is focus. Get clear on excellence and shift your resources to the critical few things like retaining customers, you know, like uh, getting deeper relationships and further development in the products that you have, that's what's going to help you be really successful. Well, the book is uh, the book is called uh, More Than a Minute, uh, and the website is morethanaminute.com. Uh, going through the book, in fact, we talked about focus. Chapter two is about focus. Uh, chapter one is about goal setting. Uh, chapter three talks about developing a high performance culture. Uh, chapter four is about feedback, how, how to make how to have effective feedback. And uh, Chapter 5 is about measuring, ongoing involvement, ongoing development. It looks like it covers everything from beginning to end, and I'm sure that uh, every manager can benefit from this uh, as much as, if not more so, than the, uh, the original book. So uh, thank you very much for talking with us tonight, Holly. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I've certainly enjoyed it. Is there a website? We need to mention websites. Yep, more, more than a minute.com. Yep. <laughs> morethanaminute.com. You can actually find links to order the book from Amazon right there on uh, morethanaminute.com. And you know what? It's on sale right now for less than 10 bucks. You're going to want to run out and buy them for all your family and friends. Well, they make, per- they make perfect Christmas presents at that price, right? There you go. There you go. And for your boss. You know, I'll even, I'll even be happy to sign it for you and say, I heard you need this. So, uh. <laughs> A subtle hint. Hey, boss, uh, here, don't suck. No. <laughs> go forth and suck no more. <laughs> there you go. I'm also on Twitter at Holly G. Green and LinkedIn and Facebook and all those other places, so please don't hesitate to contact me in any way. You are ever so modern. <laughs> you know, I am proof positive you can teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> Very nice. Well, uh, thanks also again to Samuel Greengard from earlier in the show. And, of course, as always, a special thanks to Lisa and to Eric for hosting the show. I am Philip Wynn, and this has been BC Radio Live. We do broadcast live every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, so be sure to visit us live to participate in the chat room, watch the live video feed. If you missed the live broadcast, though, audio archives are always available online. 
or you can subscribe to the podcast to have BC Radio Live delivered to you automatically each week. The address for that is blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. Until next week, aloha.